Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special ABC on Pittsburgh Sports. We, Michael, Tommy, and I got together a little earlier this week in light of the events that took place last night at Madison Square Garden. Of course, we're talking about the Penguins getting bounced yet again in the first round of the NHL playoffs. We figured we want to talk about this while it's still hot and not wait until later in the week when things start to die down, sort of do our recap and give our explanation as to why we think the Penguins blew it yet again. And I think that's the appropriate word from my perspective. They blew it. They clearly were the better team in this series. Uh, they they totally, totally dominated five-on-five five play. At one point, I, I talked to Michael last night, and I said, listen, what did I say to you? I said, they, they deserve to win this game. And yet again, they lost. I didn't watch either game, by the way. I, yeah. I got my Yeah, updates. Michael called me in between periods yeah. just to get my take. And that's what I said. They deserve to win. He called me between the second and third period. They deserve to win. But they blew it. They find, the, all series, the four lot, they found a way to lose, Tommy. Yeah, I mean – they, they were up two goals in games five and six and blew them. They were up 3-2 with five minutes to go in game seven, and they blew it. Um, you know, I've seen some people say choke. I, I, they didn't choke. I mean, we talked about this last week. You know, we left off after game five mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, the Crosby, the Crosby concussion that was one of, it feels like, about 30 things that changed the series one way or the other. You know, you go into this series um, down a goalie. You lose your second goalie. Um, I, I, without a doubt, believe that if Jari plays all series, they win. If the Smith plays all series, they win. Domingue was a nice story, um, but you just can't give up four goals he again. He was exposed. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I was there live for game six when he flubbed that one up in the air and into the net. with a. With what was a that like in the arena? Oh, I mean – it was 18,000 people getting kicked in the nuts all at, one, all at the same time is what it was. I mean, you just, you know, uh, just hard to believe. Hard to say, hard to believe, you know, that uh, the Penguins, again, just dominated that game, you know. But, I mean, you look at every game. You know, Crosby, the Penguins were winning the game. Crosby gets hurt. They fall apart for six minutes. They wind up losing that game. Game six, they're up 2 nothing and they're dominating, and, and the Rangers are out of it. And Erod takes a ridiculous retaliatory penalty. Five seconds later, it's 2-1. That game changes. Third period of that game, Brian Russ with an open net uh, coming down on the rush. Missed it. Missed it off the post. That's a goal that he scores 99 out of 100 times. He hits the mm-hmm. post in that game. And then last night, game seven, you know, they're winning. They're up 3-2. Uh, the thing with the Pedersen helmet coming off. Um, again, you know, you got to – you got to focus past the, 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 the initial stuff. Yes, it's very easy to say, yeah, Pedersen's helmet coming off cost him. Well, the reality of it is Marino didn't have right. to throw the puck up the middle. Right. right. You know, there was a million plays that Marino could have played, and he chose the one that was going to wind up in the back of our net. And it goes to the to the theory of, you know, they've given up four-plus goals. Some of that's goaltending, but a lot of it's defense. This defense was not a, was not good enough to play the game, play to, to win in the playoffs. Dumoulin getting hurt certainly didn't help, but he hardly had a good year. Um, yeah, know. I think you're right. I think the Rangers were very opportunistic. Credit to them, right? I mean, as on the Pittsburgh side of things, we're looking what's, but you got to give credit to the Rangers. They were very opportunistic. When the Penguins made mistakes, they took advantage of it every single time. It seemed like. Yeah, I mean, and their stars, you know, when they when their stars had a chance to do something, mm-hmm. their stars won the game. Um, unfortunately, we handed it to them, um, or sometimes even when we, you know, we gave them literally gifts L- to win games. But Mike Matheson, yeah, four own goals. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. You can't make that stuff up. Four own goals in the series. My biggest complaint with this team was the defense. This was not a defense that was ever going to win Stanley Cups. It's Latang and five guys that really don't do anything well, that they don't – they're not physical. They're not great skaters. They're not offensive. They don't do anything particularly good. Yeah, it was the number one thing that I wanted to see – uh, improve throughout the course of the year, and I and I blame everybody. I blame mm-hmm. management. I blame Sullivan. Um, they had guys in the minors, Ricola and Pio Joseph, who I'm not saying are Bobby Orr, mm-hmm. but because you didn't use them all year, they weren't options. Mm-hmm. You didn't know what you were getting yourself because you didn't. 82 meaningless games, which is all right. the regular season is. I knew, they knew, the rest of the NHL knew on January 1st that the Penguins were getting in the playoffs. Nothing else mattered. They were getting in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They had four months to try things out, and they refused to do it because Mm -hmm. Sullivan and that organization treats every game like it's game seven. Well, it was time for a game seven, and you didn't have the answers because you took four months and just stubborned your way through hockey. And... You didn't take advantage of those opportunities. Ricola and P.O. Joseph, if they're in a series that the Penguins win, I, I don't know that. But unfortunately, we'll never know that because the guys that they put out there were the only options that they had. Mm-hmm. They traded for Nathan Bellew at the at the deadline. We never a big saw him. Yeah. physical defenseman. They never gave him a shot. They insisted on playing Matheson and Latang together, even though the most casual observers, mm-hmm. Michael included, <laughs> knew that, that that defensive pair wasn't going to work. You had guys like Ruedo and Friedman who are at best 7th and 8th defensemen on a good defense playing big minutes out there on penalty kills. Um, it just was poorly executed, and it finally caught up to them at the end of the year when they just didn't have any other options. Well, isn't coaching in itself in any sport a game of adjustments, right? You, you adjust as the season goes along. It evolves. It doesn't always evolve the way you want it to evolve, right? So you change things to see if they work. And you're saying that they just played the same defenseman all year long without trying anything new. Right? Well, you teed me up perfectly, Michael. Thank you oh, very okay. much. I appreciate that. Because this is one of the things I was going to bring up to Tommy. As I'm sitting there reading everything, decompressing after last night. And you hear all you know the reasons why. You read everybody. They all have their reasons. Special teams were god-awful. I think everybody can agree on that. Um, the PK sucked. Um, and I don't want to hear excuses. The PK was awful. Their power play one was terrible. The only goal, the power play two saved them. The meltdown in game five when Sid went down, giving up, you know, having leads and giving up leads, to me, as I'm sitting there reflecting today, all points back to one guy. And, Tom, you talked about him earlier. You were, you were railing against him earlier. And I agreed. I think – the expiration date has hit for Mike Sullivan, plain and simple. The guy needs to go. And I think he will ultimately. He's been here seven years, which is like 150 in, in any other sport years. Um, it's time for him to go. He's blown it. I mean, plain and simple. You look at all these reasons, it traces back to one guy. And I look, last night, you said it. You're spot on. McGinn, all right, that, the game it was on him. Right, he takes that stupid penalty. He's playing with the puck at the blue line because the defensemen are down deep. He's got the puck. Instead of dumping it deep, he's trying to stick handle around Miller. Miller gets the puck, takes it back. McGinn gets the holding penalty. Rangers score on the power play. Well, right, and, that's and, Sully's system. Right, but, I mean, well, that's enough. And that's the problem. It's over. That's not Brock McGinn's fault. Brock McGinn was doing his job. 
The problem is, is the guy who put him in that job. Mm-hmm. You have a fourth line, uh, fourth line winger at your blue line in overtime of Game Seven of the playoffs. If that's your system, your system sucks. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just yeah, that's just time. that's just the way that right. it is. And you know, again, it, the Penguins don't have Bobby Orr on the uh, six Bobby Orrs on the mm-hmm. on the thing. So to have Friedman and Ruedel and and Marino and Pedersen all behind the net all the time of the in their offensive Pinching zone constantly. in the third yep. period, if that's your system, your system sucks. <laughs> there has to be an adjustment. And I thought early on in the series, I thought he did make some adjustments that I thought the reins were pulled back mm-hmm. a little bit. But over these last games, and especially watching Game 6 live, I mean, that's all the defensemen do is just pinch and pinch, and that's not these guys' strengths. And that's the problem with this defensive core. You didn't build it to the strength of your coach because the two better puck movers were in the AHL, and Ricola and P.O. Yeah. Joseph, they're better skaters, they're better puck movers than what you had up here. Yes, they're soft, uh, and they're not physical defensemen, but so are this five or six that you put on the ice in this series. As evidenced by the four on goals, because Matheson continually got bullied in front of his own net. Yeah, I mean, you, you just, it was, the, the, the fence was always going to be a problem, and and that leads to the goaltending aspect of it. And that's the other crazy part about this. You have your third string goalie in there. So you would think that the natural instinct is to bring everybody back and protect the house more and defend better. And yes, they did defend better. They did limit some of the shots. But again, with Matheson, with the four, with the four own goals that he scored, and 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 what they did as a team, and the pinching and stuff, it, it just it, it was it's frustrating to watch. But ultimately, as much as I would like to blame Sullivan and do that stuff, it wasn't Sullivan's elbow that took out Crosby. It wasn't Sullivan who so retaliated. Sullivan should have called the big T.O. when the Rangers scored two. And he yeah, didn't. And we so talked, there goes number three, and, and right? We talked about that in the last podcast. But it wasn't him that was up to nothing that was in the his own offensive zone. It took a retaliatory penalty against the Rangers. That was that was Rodriguez that did that. And, you know, there's only so much a coach can do when you have guys like that that make plays. And, and you know, I was in a, and I was watching last night, and I was thinking, you know, Erod scored that goal to make himself mm-hmm. to go up three two, and right. I thought, man, if this lead holds, because um, if it was me, I would have scratched him for Game Seven or A Rodriguez, because that's how stupid what he did in right. Game Six was. There's no accountability then, so if right. he's making a dumb play in Game well, Six. Well, because Tom's point, they didn't have anybody else. Yeah, they I mean, trust- they had O'Connor, but that's the thing. They don't trust. Yeah, him. They don't trust. Yeah, which is asinine. He has forgotten what got him the cups. Right? It was that youth injection. We talked about this too. Why did he go against that now? I mean, here we are six years later, whatever, and it's like he, he's totally forgotten what made the Penguins what they were early. The, the young, the infusive youth, the legs, and all. He wouldn't do it anymore. And we've talked about this in a lot of these podcasts. Is Sullivan's system is a grinding, demanding system to play night in and night out. And because the Penguins want to play all 82 games like it is game seven – it grinds on older players. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, youth is is the key to having a system like this because it's go, go, go all the time. Jeff Carter, Sidney Crosby, mm-hmm. Malkin, Latang, these guys are all upper 30s. They can't go like that anymore. That's why you need youth. That's mm-hmm. why you need speed in your bottom six. And that's why, again, I like Brock McGinn. I thought for the most part he had a good series, and I think he does, did his role well. 
But that's the problem when you have the, a system that can't create a fourth line grinder and you have to go out and pay somebody three and a half million dollars to do that for four years, which is what they did with McGinn. That's what leads to this kind of stuff and the salary cap hell that they've been in for the last few years and things like that is you're overpaying guys that you should be homegrown. You should have 10 Brock McGinn's mm-hmm. in your system. I mean, because he doesn't bring anything. He's a hard worker. He skates well and he hits. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can well, teach anybody to go do that. Right. For all we know, that's O'Connor. That's O'Horna. They didn't get a shot. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the problem with this. Was I don't know if it's Sullivan, which I have to assume it's Sullivan because, you know, Rutherford was here and they were and they were doing this. And then he abruptly leaves. And then uh, Hextall comes in and the same thing goes on. But th- there needs to be beyond players and things like that there needs to be some big philosophy 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 changes yeah. to this system and to the way that this organization looks at things and it's going to be a fascinating offseason when it comes to management and and what exactly mm-hmm. is going to the next step is let's talk about that there's been a ton of speculation already i've heard uh that more ha- they're clearing house the fenway they're not one that takes kindly to First round exit after first round exit after first round exit. I think it's pretty pretty well known in the NHL. If you're going to make some money, you got to advance to the second round of the playoffs. They haven't done that. It's time for a change. I don't think anybody would argue that. Um, so it started with Morehouse. I think you're going to see Burke and Hextall next very soon, sooner rather than later. And I guess I think Sully. And I think they this whole thing, we start over from well, the top. From the top. We'll get into the team in subsequent podcasts, but for today, let's just talk about the top of the house. Yeah, and that's what we, we, we want to be very clear about how we, you know, as far as the Penguins offseason goes, look, this is raw. Everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, still emotional. We're not going to talk player movement. We're not going to talk what the what this, what the free agents are going to be. That's, that's going to start next week where I'll have some detailed plans about what they can do, you know, if they sign, the, if they want to try to re-sign the guys or if they want to move on. But for now... What they have to what they have to decide is the Fenway Sports Group, which it's, it, I don't want anybody out there to believe anything anybody says because nobody has an insider on this group, and you know why? Because there is no guy for Fenway Sports Group. There isn't. There's not one FSG boss or employee in the organization right now. They're all leftovers from this organization. It was pretty much well known that Fenway Sports Group was going to be hands off through the season. They came in middle of the season mm-hmm. to the end. They didn't want to interfere with what's going on. They left everything in place. Well, now it's over. We've had another first round exit. And to Mark's point, and you know, for people that don't know, in hockey, most of a team's revenue is based off their ticket revenue. Their TV deals are okay. They're not anything like the other big three sports. They need ticket revenue. They need to sell out their building. And for a team, most people in the NHL have always said, for a team to truly make money, they have to get to the second round of the playoffs. Well, that's a very narrow. There's only mm-hmm. eight teams that get that's to right. the second round mm-hmm. of the of the of the playoffs, and so that's a narrow window for everybody to thread their way through. But this will be the fourth year now that the Penguins have not done that. They're a cap team. They mm-hmm. spend to the money. They spend to the cap limits. This year, they did not sell out their building except for a couple times. Um, this is a team that needs to win. There's, there's, there's no way in the world that this group spent nine hundred million dollars. They're going to come in and all of a sudden they're not going to, they're going to become the Pirates. This team's going to spend. This organization's going to spend money. I still expect them to be a cap team, but the first step 
is Fenway Sports Group is going to put their fingerprints on ownership mm -hmm. and on management. And what their first things they're going to do is they've already removed Morehouse. You know, I've heard both sides that he he just saw the writing on the wall that it was time to go. I've heard other people that knocked that Fenway might have knocked on his door politely and just said, "Hey, I think it's time to to move on." So Fenway Sports Group is going to put their is going to put their touches on it. And at what level? Well, their Morehouse's replacement is going to be an FSG guy. We know that already. The next steps are going to be Burke and Hextall. I've already heard from multiple people that Burke's gone. Um, Hextall, I don't, I don't know what to think. Um, I think he's going to be gone because, again, if I spent nine hundred million dollars, you're going to want your own people. The guys that are going to be making the calls, I want to be my people. Mm -hmm. um, and then once that happens, those particular people are going to have to sit down with Mike Sullivan. And make a decision about what they don't want to do with him. Mm -hmm. You may think he's a great coach. I may think he's a great coach. Everybody might think he's a great coach. But these guys, this ain't their guy. They didn't hire him. They have no emotional ties to this guy whatsoever. So that's going to be the next week or two we're going to see. And I think it's going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen quick. Because you have coaches out there. Barry Trotz is out yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Peter DeBoer got okay. fired from, from L.A. today. Mike Babcock has been making noise about wanting to come back into coaching. Um, you're going to want to be in front of all this stuff. So um, I think you're going to be, you know, I think in the next week to 10 days, you're going to have the decisions from that. And then what happens there will dictate the players and what goes on from there. Well, now we're left with the Pirates for a couple months. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> all attention turns to the Pirates. All eyes turn to the Pirates for a couple months, at least before Steelers open training camp. So, Michael, let's talk about the Pirates. What's what a, happening? Bring what, us up to speed. What a strange day in Pittsburgh sports yesterday. Yeah. Huh? The Penguins play a game oh, seven unbelievable. and lose, and the Pirates win a game one nothing, and they get no hit, um, which has only happened six, six times in the history of baseball. Um, and it's team, been a long history of baseball, by the way. A long history of baseball, uh, more than any other sport. Listen, the Pirates are playing. They're treading water. Uh, you know, I mean, we talked last week. We starting to see Rodolfo Castro got yep. called up, and he didn't just get called up to sit on the bench. They're playing him starting yep. every game, so that's what you want. You give the guy a shot. If he doesn't work out, you bring somebody else in. Um, uh, Jose Quintana. Mm -hmm. I mean, what can you say about a guy like that? And, and the knock on him the last three years was it, 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 his stuff plays. I mean, he, he throws ninety to ninety two. But the last three years before this year, he couldn't find the strike zone. He was walking guys at an alarming rate. I don't know what it was per five per nine innings or something. I mean, you can't get away with that in the major leagues doing that. He's finding the strike zone again. This is the Quintana you've seen when he was 27, 28 years old. So, yeah, this team's playing good baseball. Um, we'll know, talk more about Quintana later in our factor fiction section. Yeah, I mean, you, you got Ben Gamble, uh, Vogelback. Is is knocking the softball out. player? The softball player is. Listen, I mean, you know, he doesn't look like much of a player, but I mean, listen, he's he's the dude has ball. a stick. Yeah, he has a stick. Uh, the the bullpen has been pretty solid. This team's treading water. They go to Chicago tonight to start a three game series. If they can take two out of three against them, you're talking about a team that's two games under 500 going into Thursday. So. Yeah, I think you have to be pleased. Like we've talked about, we want to see the younger guys. They are working them in now at this point. Sawinski's still in the lineup. They're allowing they're, – they want to see what this kid has. They're, they're giving him an opportunity. And I've been pleased with what I've seen from him. Of course, he's not going to come up and hit 300. But what I will – and Michael and Tommy want to get your take. The, the one guy that is really worrying me right now is Brian Reynolds. 
Uh, we're almost to June. I mean, this is we're not talking about, okay, here's a guy who struggles in April, and, and now it's time to get it back together. I mean, here we are, we're almost to June, and my man is still struggling. We've seen yeah, that. We've seen some signs, but he can't hit the ball when there's anybody on base. Yeah, he, he's. Uh, he, I think he's starting to press again. Now, I, you, I'll throw out the, 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 that COVID year. I, I, I know people. I guess you got to count the sixty games. I, I, it was, it was, it was so one off. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers want to uh, get a nice World Series ring for that. That's fine. I don't count it. The Dodgers, to me, still haven't won a World Series since '88. Um. You take that year out for Reynolds, and he's hit 300 everywhere he's been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that he, I think he's going to start hitting. But if he doesn't hit, you're going to start seeing this team go seven games, eight games, 10 games, 15 games under 500. He has to hit. You know, the, the problem with this team so far has been power, right? right? Your first baseman has one home run. Your third baseman is a slap hitter to right field. I mean, I, I have nothing against Hayes. He's a really good defensive third baseman. He hits decent for average, but most of it's singles. So I, it, they, they, they got to start addressing the power at some point. But if Reynolds doesn't step up and play like he did last year, you're going to start seeing this team start stumbling and heading the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, this organization is is obviously that you know they signed Hayes. That's one of their pillars going forward, and and it's just very clear that Hayes is never going to be a power guy. He's just not. He doesn't pass the eye test. Michael and I were talking about this last night, too, in the middle of the Penguin talk. The dude is skinny. Like, you you, you look at him, and there's nothing to him. I mean, he's 170 pounds, maybe. Yeah, I I mean, I I think he's going to be a a 10-homer, 75 RBIs with maybe 25 doubles. I mean, if you just just watch him swing – he doesn't try. He's not trying to hit home runs. He's not turning on the ball. He likes to hit the ball the right field or try to use the right field gap. I, I, I just don't see power coming from him. So if you're not going to get power out of him, then the other guy you have to get something out of Reynolds is Reynolds. And you know this is you know on again, off again, on again Reynolds so far in his career. You know this is the year that you know maybe this is going to be a slow year or a slump year for him. And and the Pirates just can't afford that. And if they if they get bad Reynolds for mm-hmm. till the All Star break, then that's going to be real trouble because this lineup's just not deep right. enough. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're starting guys. I mean, Josh Van Meter, for God's sakes, was leading off the other day, and then he bunts to bunts <laughs> against the shift to get a hit. I mean, you got to res- hey, you well, got to respect those guys. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, you know, no, I know what you're saying. Getting yeah. back to one right. of the many things I hate about baseball is that we're shifting Josh Van Meter. Right. I mean, come on. I mean, for Christ's it's sake. True. I mean, yeah. Why is there even a book on Josh, Josh Van Meter? Yeah, right. I mean, come on. It should be a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, when you're I mean, what a 189 we... career, yeah. how much of a book yeah. is there really? Here, here, the here's, the, here's the book. Uh, here's the pitch. It's a fastball, Josh. Good luck. Good luck hitting mm-hmm. So, you know. I, I, With all book. due respect to Mrs. Van Meter. What, like yeah, you know, right. I, yeah. I apologize to his mother. Yeah. I've apologized a lot to him <laughs> over his last few podcasts, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Pirates. I, again, I, I when I look at the lineups, I'm looking for youth. I want to see the guys playing, and this is the one thing I'll say about this regime so far that I've seen with Charrington and and with uh, Shelty is that um, the, when the young kids come up, they're not just pine tarred to the bench. Yeah. You know, they're they're letting them play a little bit. Um, but the biggest problem with this this organization is the starting pitching and lack thereof. I mean, you know, Quintana's been a godsend. Zach Thompson, every once in a while, does something that, you know, I mean, he took a no-hitter into the sixth inning. 
which I thought was a typo. I yeah, thought Mitch the, Keller. I thought the screen him. was broke, but yeah, I mean, Keller is Mitch so Keller. Hard to figure yeah. out. Keller is. You got that kind of stuff. Your ERA shouldn't be over six. I mean, yeah. I, I just don't understand. It's it. got to be. It's mental, right? But I mean, you know it's what? All though, mental. It, but it goes to you know. It just shows you. You know, look at the other side of the diamond yesterday. Mm-hmm. I mean, a Hunter Green. Yeah. That guy's throwing one hundred and one. He's 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 got all these all this all this talent. But you come in, he's one and six with a seven eight five ERA. I mean, and he know it's the Pirates, right? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I mean, but you know, he. But there was a tactical change in the way he pitched. Yeah. I mean, he's been he was eighty percent fastballs yesterday. He was sixty five percent sliders. Yeah. I mean, when you're throwing a hundred and one, I've tried to explain this to people over the years, and and for people that don't have never played baseball, if you if I know that someone's throwing a fastball. I can hit it. Mm-hmm. I can hit it. It doesn't matter how hard you're throwing it. You can hit it. It's a hittable for any major leaguer. We've seen any number of pirate quote unquote prospects, relievers mm-hmm. come up over the years that are throwing. I, I can't. I, they mentioned them on the broadcast yesterday, and I laughed because I was thinking about it before they said it. I think it was Arcadis Semana Commander. Remember that big? Oh, Archimedes. Oh, Archimedes. Archimedes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Greek god. Yeah. He, he used to throw 100 miles an yeah. hour, and yeah. they would hit him to Yellowstone Park because. <laughs> No he, movement. It yeah. was no movement. It was straight right down the middle. Yeah. These are professional hitters. They can hit that stuff. Yeah. And you have to be able to deceive. You have to be able to give them something else to think about. Well, and Keller just has not done that yet. He, he's done it in small right. sample sizes. And you're thinking, okay, he's about to get over the hump. And then he comes back with another one of those garbage outings. And I don't know if it's pitch sequencing. I don't know if it's the way he's – Presenting the pitches, if he's tipping pitches, I don't know what the problem is, but I don't understand a guy that throws ninety six to ninety nine and has decent breaking stuff has an ERA like that. So at some point, we're going to have to move on from him. I mean, now we're in year three of this, and it, it's the same old, same old. One good start, three shitty starts. You mm-hmm. can't have that. Well, one thing that frustrates me though, that is frustrating me about the power organization, and it was brought up again today, is you have a young staff. Almost everybody mm-hmm. on this team is a young pitcher. And I understand that they signed Roberto Perez to be there to replace mm-hmm. Stallings this year, um, to be the, you know, their catcher. But Roberto Perez came in with a long history of injuries. And they had no other backup plan behind mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. catching has become such an oh. integral part of the game. Yeah. And you have to have a, a catcher has, has the ability to control a staff. Yeah, and, Andrew Knapp wasn't the and answer. Help, and help these young guys. And you know, they brought Perez in, which I thought was a good signing, mm-hmm. but it's almost like in goaltending where Backup. you have you have a starter that comes in and then you have but he comes in with injury history. So you always like Tom Brasso from back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Tom right. Brasso was a great goalie, but he got hurt all, all the time. time. Right. And you so you always you yeah. knew you had to have a second guy. When they signed Perez, they really needed to find a second strong catcher, and they didn't do that. And now they're without with Perez out, which sounds like for the year. I don't, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything that makes. They it. said maybe after the All Star break at some point, maybe in August. But I, I and, by that point, right? It, yeah. And on a side note, and listen, I, I don't have you know, I'm not saying I got the greatest locks in the, in the thing, but when he comes back, he got to shave that mop. That's a bad. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a bad mop. But <laughs> I digress. You know, uh, the, but the thing was with him is that you know now you've got you got Michael Perez. How many Perez's are there? I, I mean, we have them all. Yeah, I mean, we have them all. Uh, How come we can't have all the Molinas? Why didn't right, we get yeah. all the Perez's? I mean, but so uh, so now they got Michael Perez, who who it seemed like they he came out of nowhere, and Andrew Knapp was going to be the guy. Well, today out of nowhere they released Andrew Knapp, and they picked up another guy off waivers, Tyler Heineman from from Toronto, um, and. He, 
the problem is is that this young pitching staff it doesn't have an anchor right now, and they really need to find somebody that can help guide these guys, and they just don't have it right now. Well, to your point, Tom, you're right. So, yeah, you, catching is a premium position. It, it, it's like finding plutonium. You're just not going to find them. They're not hanging out there. When Roberto Perez got injured, uh, Mark called me, and he was like, the Pirates got to make a deal for a catcher. And I said to him, okay. And I started right. looking up other teams' catchers, and then I said, okay, who? <laughs> there is nobody. And the part of the problem when Charrington took over was the lack of catching depth in the mind. I mean, we had nobody. No, when I say nobody. You had another indictment of Huntington. Imagine that. So he took over a complete shit show behind the plate. And he now he's built up the minor league system. Obviously, you know, Andy Rodriguez isn't ready. Carter Bynes is probably going to be a backup catcher somewhere along the lines. Obviously, Henry Davis is the, you know, he's the, getting the there. crime jewel. He's getting closer. You know, he's at double A, but you're still a year away. So when you, he took over in a – Charrington, to me, this is his second full season. Again, the COVID year was completely a wash for me. That wasn't even that wasn't even baseball. So he, this is his second year. But like you said, if you don't have a contingency plan behind Roberto Perez with his injury history, this is what we've that we you reap what you sow, right? I mean, this is this is what it's going to be the rest of the year. Uh, now, the what the small sample sign I've seen of Michael Perez since he's been back, he's a terrible defensive catcher. And his frame rate sucks. Um, he moves his glove around like he has Tourette's. Um, but at the plate, he he's, looks different than he did last year. Last year, I think he swang at pretty much every pitch that a pitcher threw. I think maybe he walked three times last year, all year. I don't know what the stats are, but I guarantee you it's not much more than three. Um, this year, he's being a little more selective, and he has a little pop in his bat. But again, now the, who's the backup? Tyler Heineman? Heineman, yeah, they just Taylor Heineman, Tyler yeah, Heineman. I think it's Tyler. They just acquired. Well, it doesn't really matter. Off way. Wait a minute. This Perez that's up here now, this Michael Perez. This is the guy from last year. Yeah, the same guy. Yeah, same guy. It is. Yeah. Because yes. they re-signed him in yeah. the off to the to, to a minor well, league deal. They they assigned him, you know, DFA'd him initially. Nobody picked him. No up. No one picked him up. Oh, that's a shocker. So, yeah, surprise, surprise. And he was at AAA, and so they they told called him, him to work on up. some things like mm -hmm. pitch selection. Yeah. Jesus. So yeah, yeah. It's, it, 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 they 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 brought him back. It's very confusing. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. it really need like some kind of like Perez guy. Yeah, yeah like, right. like could yeah. they give this out as like on a Thursday night, like a, a Perez handbook, just to try to Figure help us? Yeah. We have. And how many more are there? How many more do we uh, have? I think that's it mm -hmm. for now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. If Who knows? But yeah. But if I have one, if I have one indictment, I would say that I really they really need to get this catcher things figured out because it's not helping their pitching staff. And it's just too young of a pitching staff to have guys that are just – I don't know what this – this guy seems to be – I saw he's, he's thrown out 30, 35% of the runners that he's that he's faced this year, which is a nice number. Um, you know, at this point, I'll take a guy that hits a buck fifty if he knows how to yeah. what he's doing back there. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what it's all about, right? Can he handle the pitching staff? Can he help bring these guys along? Can he call a good game? Can he frame? Do that sort of thing. We'll find out. Because let's face it, that's what the catching <clears throat> position has become. Right. You know, I mean, they're just the number, and a lot most lineups. It seems like they're the number nine hitter. Mm -hmm. They all hit around two ten or two hundred or something like that. And, but but it's all about framing and being able to call the game and and do that stuff. So, well, we'll see. We'll continue to talk about the Pirates. Hopefully, they'll keep us interested at least through training camp, which opens up the end of July. So, this is your opportunity, Pirates. Don't blow it. All eyes on you. We'll see what happens. All right, the other playoffs, of course, that are going on right now, the NBA playoffs, and boy, oh, boy, I'm a casual fan. I love the NBA. My boys love the NBA. Um, 
it, it's crazy how it works out. I have four sons, and two of them are absolute NBA fanatics. Uh, so, you know, Michael, they're, they're in your camp over there. So I, um, you know, get updates from them. I hear about it and hear about what's going on from them. I've taken a huge interest in the NBA because of them. I had you turn yep. the Milwaukee-Boston right. game, game on Friday. Yep. After exactly. And then last night. Down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in a pretty bad place. Uh, Friday night, and you got me turned to the uh, Bucks Celtics game. Yeah, since we uh, did our last podcast last Thursday, um, you know uh, the Miami Heat disposed mm-hmm. of Philadelphia. Um, we knew that was going to happen. Harden, well, oh my I, I, goodness! Listen, I called him David Copperfield for a reason yeah. because I've never seen a superstar that makes forty-seven million dollars a year, forty-seven million dollars, completely disappear in a game seven. Mm-hmm. A game seven. You know how many shots he took in the second half of that game? One. One shot, forty-seven million dollars. He took one shot. He scored eleven points. He played forty-three minutes. That's completely not Crazy. showing up. Right. And you know, I mean, Jimmy Butler did what Jimmy buckets does. You know, mm-hmm. he scored thirty-two. Um, plays great defense. Miami has the best defense. In oh, the PJ NBA. Tucker and Bam. And yeah, all, yeah. Th- I mean, this team, um, this team can play defense. And you know, I listening to uh, Joel Embiid's uh, mm-hmm. post-game. Con- uh, uh, conference uh he is a little bit harsh on harden and rightfully so he said this isn't the james harden from the houston rockets and you know and he also said that the biggest mistake philadelphia ever made was letting jimmy butler walk out the door Mm -hmm. and now you see miami going to the eastern conference finals yet again yet again um you know milwaukee played boston yesterday in another game seven there were two game sevens yesterday and uh Miami held uh, Milwaukee to 36% from the field. Boston held Milwaukee, yeah. Yeah, Boston mm-hmm. held Milwaukee to 36% from the field and 12% from the three-point line. Yep. They were four for 33. You're not going to win too many mm-hmm. games doing that. And we always talk about role players. Mm-hmm. Grant Williams, he scores 27. He Now, this is where the game's changed since when we were kids. You had a power forward take 18 three-pointers. I, I thought it was a typo when I seen it, but yeah, Grant Williams went seven of eighteen from three point range, so he just stands out in a three point line, six mm-hmm. foot nine power forward. Um, you know, Tatum was Tatum yesterday. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a you know a monster game. He, not like in Game Six where him and Giannis were mm-hmm. going back and forth. It was like a heavyweight fight. You know, Giannis what wound up with forty eight, and uh, mm-hmm. Tatum wound up with forty two. Um, Boston held serve at home. Now you got Boston playing Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals, the two best yep. defensive teams in the NBA. If you like old school basketball, you're going to see a little of that in this series. This is going to be a, a rough and tumble series. Uh, in the Western Conference, I love it. I love last well, night. Well, we'll get the last night. Memphis obviously got bounced on uh, Friday night against uh, Golden State. I mean, the Splash Brothers, Curry and Thompson, combined for 14 threes, and uh, Memphis obviously without John Don't. Morant. For, well, he would Valiant have, effort, but you're not you're just staying. I mean, no Memphis chance. has a team that you're going to want to watch if they can hold this core mm-hmm. together. Desmond Bain is a guy that nobody knows about. He had. Well, great, I think people know about him now after I think this they playoffs. Know about him now. Yep. He was the top three point shooter in the NBA mm-hmm. this year, as far as percentage wise. In Golden State, another unsung hero the other night. You had uh, Kevin Looney grab 22 mm-hmm. rebounds. So when Golden State did miss a three, he would grab the offensive rebound, kick it back out, and you got guys scrambling. And then you can't give Golden State two and three offensive opportunities on, on one trip down the floor. So that that brings us to the final game seven last night. I sat down, had the popcorn ready, and um, as soon as they tipped that game off, 
Phoenix never showed up. I don't know if they didn't get off the team bus. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> I called you at halftime, and I said, do you know what the score is? And you said, what? I said, 57 to 27. <laughs> 27 points. An NBA team in a game seven scored 27 points in the first half. Luka Doncic had 27 in the first half. So he scored as many points as Phoenix did. Um, i never seen a team just fall apart like they did. I mean, obviously, Doncic had 35, 10, and 4. That's a choke, right, Tom? You said the pe- what the Penguins did wasn't a choke. You're right. What Phoenix did last that night was, was a total that, choke. That yeah, you, sure was. You, you can't have Spencer Dimwood. He played 20, 25 minutes and scored 30 points. <laughs> I mean, he's a nice piece, but he, you can't have Dimwood dropping 30, 30 on you in a game. That just can't happen. So... Um, and I loved Luca. He would pop a three and just smile. Yeah, I mean, I mean, how could you not love that? You know that that series got a little chippy. It him did. and Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. Booker, you know, likes to run his mouth. My man had eleven points yesterday right. in a game seven. So, it, it, yeah, this series between Dallas and uh, Golden State. I, I listen. Luca Doncic is turning into. Mm. Uh, you know, we talk about Giannis, and we, we last week we talked on the podcast about Giannis maybe being on the run, mm. my Rushmore, and I know they got bounced in this series. He's the first player in NBA history to ever score 200 points, grab 100 rebounds, and have 50 assists in a series. So it wasn't because of him that Milwaukee right. lost. They just didn't have enough. They just didn't have yeah. enough. So Without Middleton, they yeah. We got Boston at Miami Tuesday <clears throat> night, and then we got Dallas at Golden State starting Wednesday. So we're in the uh, conference finals of the NBA. This is, uh, this is coming down to the wire now. It's a great time of year. It's unfortunate that Pittsburgh doesn't have a team in the NHL or the NBA playoffs right now, but – We'll update on the NHL playoffs as we go. I got to be totally honest. Typically in years past when the Penguins get bounced, my interest in the NHL playoffs goes away. But uh, for the sake of the podcast, we'll pay attention and we'll update everybody and, and give them their thoughts. And Connor McDavid's still in Connor it. Connor McDavid's still in it. Yeah, hopefully he'll get, Tommy, to your point, some primetime coverage. Yeah, we're playing we Calgary, so it'll be 10 o'clock yeah. games oh, every night. Yeah. So. But hey, one thing I, I didn't mention that I did want to bring up just in, about the Penguins real quick uh, – the last three playoff series that they've lost in a row, they've had sub-90% uh, save percentage from their goaltenders. So you had Murray three years ago cho- uh, blow it. Last year you had Jari choke it away. And this year, you know, through no fault of his own, Domingue just shouldn't be is in an NHL right. goaltender. Um, so, as again, going back to management, trying to figure out what to do, it's tough to win with that. Well, I think it, – it, it, okay, we won't kill this point, but – just what you were just saying about the Pirates and catching. Got to have enough guys. You got to have enough guys. Same thing. Barrasso, we knew his the injury history. So they would – Kenny Raggett, Ron Tugnut. They always had a good veteran. Is the Smith that guy? Maybe. But there's guys out there. There's solid veterans I think that they're going to need to invest in this year as the well, number two. Much like Ruedo and Friedman should be seven and eight, the Smiths should have always been three. three. Yeah. So. And they should have found a better. They should have found a better too. But well, hopefully just, they will I, this offseason. I wanted to mention that one more time yeah. because we we didn't get a chance to talk about that. Well, that leads us into our factor fiction segment, Tommy. Thank you. And first factor fiction, Michael. You were talking about Quintana and the great year that he's having. Hopefully, the Pirates can leverage that when we get into June or July. We start talking about trades. Factor fiction: the Pirates will get a team's top ten. I'm not saying overall top ten, but a team's top ten prospect. For Jose Quintana, the, fact the, or fiction? I, I say it's fact, and the the way Quintana is pitching is obviously great. Was he fifth in Major League mm-hmm. Baseball in the ERA, ERA with yeah. like a two sixteen ERA? But he's a lefty on top of it, and left handed starting pitching is a premium. Now, is he going to pitch to this level all year? Probably not. But if his ERA can stay between three and a half and four, 
He's an innings eater. You know he's going to give you 100 pitches. You don't have to worry about pitch count with him. He can eat innings mm-hmm. for you. And, I, I, yeah, I do think the Pirates could get a top top 10 prospect from, a, from a another team's top organization. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'll say fiction. Um, these guys come and go, so pardon me and their mothers for not remembering their name. But well, who was the curtain jerker that they had last year that was a lefty that did all? Was it Tyler Anderson? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had this same. And they got, what was he, like fifth, their 15th prospect? Yeah, same guy, different trade. uniform, same style. Carter Bonds, I think, was in that deal. Um, hmm. you know, That's right. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, if Quintana winds up being this for all the way through, could they pull something out of it? Yeah, but, the, you know. It doesn't really matter if it's a top ten prospect or whatever. You took a nothing. You took a nothing asset. You signed it off the street for a couple million bucks, and if you turn it into a prospect, it's a win. So I'll say fiction that it's not a top ten player, but I still think it's a good move, and they should be doing more of that. They should be plugging a lot of these holes that they have with one year. So if you have to pay somebody a little bit more, so what? It's one year. Mm-hmm. Sign them, flip them, take the prospect in. You know, churn and burn. Mm-hmm. Just keep doing that until you get to the point of contention. They should have been doing that for years. So either way, I definitely think they'll be able to flip him at the deadline for something. Oh, yeah. I think if you get two more good outings out of him, which will take us into June, and as I said, that's when the trade talks really start. You're starting to see your contenders versus pretenders. Uh, I think you could, at that point, flip him for somewhere. Just like we saw with Tyler Anderson. I think that's a good comparable. I think you're going to get a team's 10, 11, 12 prospect for Quintana for sure. You're not going to get five or six. Yeah, but you spent but two million dollars exactly. on somebody and, that you got off the street, and you continue to add to that minor league system. He did a little something for you, maybe rubs off on the on the young mm-hmm. kids a little bit of veteran presence, and then you flip them for something at the deadline. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, so the other news of the of the day today has been the Antonio Brown tweet that he wants to retire a Steeler, and which is why we all came back to do this podcast right. today to talk about right. Antonio Brown. <laughs> I you said this, and he say what you want about him. But when it comes to business, I don't know who's advising him. He he has a concert in town this weekend. Right, he's a rapper now. Mm. I mean, you want to call him that? I mean, all due respect to Drake and young and all these other rappers who are true rappers. Um, he said he wants to retire as Steeler. I think he's drumming up interest in his show. Um, but you know, he, he sent out a follow up tweet. You know, just to be clear, he's just talking about he wants to retire. He's not playing, playing, but he wants to retire. A Pittsburgh Steeler. Fact or fiction, that happens. Uh, I don't know how many times I could say fiction to this, how big I could say it, how loud I could say it. Listen, A.B. is a knucklehead, but he is good at social media and getting people to talk yes. about him. And it becomes a national story. He tweets and it becomes a national story. Well, it's crazy. I mean, I didn't know he was rapping in Pittsburgh on Friday. This morning when I woke up, I do now. Am I going to go buy a ticket? No. If it was literally in the other room right here, I'd close these barn doors and and put on headphones. So, But I now know that there's a concert Friday. We're talking about it. Yep. And maybe somebody out there hears it and goes and wants to see this stupid show that he's putting on. So. <laughs> They're intrigued say, enough to yeah, spend some I'll little say money. Fiction, but he is good at getting his message out there. That's for sure. Yeah, it's fiction. I mean, <laughs> it, it, this guy—he wants to retire. He's not talking about playing. The reason he's not talking about playing is because in the middle of a frigging game last year, he took off his goddamn pads and shoulder Peace pads and, and waved at a crowd. <laughs> so in the middle of a play. So yeah, it's it's fiction. Nobody security gonna... guards. <laughs> The security guards ran out onto the field as they thought it was a fan because he was naked. So this guy, listen, I, well, I, Jesus Christ, I, I don't even know what to say about this guy. What a what a 
phenomenal talent he was. And that's to the point. He actually, Listen, he was the best wide receiver the Steelers ever had for that three-year period, hands down. He could actually still play football, right. but he is such an asshole. <laughs> Nobody will even sign him to a one-day contract. Like, I wouldn't even what, – what, are they going to have a press conference for him? No, nah, that's fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even need that. I mean – Honest to God, I, if I wouldn't give my shit, I wouldn't even sign him to a one day contract because I don't, I don't, I'd be afraid of what he would do in that one. <laughs> yes, day. there's nobody saying he's not retiring anything. He's just gonna he'd throw a chair at a four year old on the way to the press conference, and the Steelers would get sued. There's he's no, gonna just float out into the abyss. Nobody's ever gonna hear from him again as far as football. And, and again, I go back to all the people that love to bash Mike Tomlin, and I've right. certainly bashed him over the years, but. The guy kept this knucklehead under wraps for seven years that, and he yeah. was a stealer. And I, I don't know how you do this. I really don't. I, I've coached. I've, I've dealt with attitudes. I've dealt with players that, that are more difficult than others. But, I, I, I mean, my God, to be able to get what they got out of him and, and turn him into the player that he was for us, which is the greatest wide receiver I've ever seen play live. Yeah. I mean, it's, the, the things that he did on the football field were unreal to what this sideshow has become. And kudos again to Tom Brady. Tom Brady got a Super Bowl out of, yeah. out of the guy for however long. He had one he good season with too. him. Yeah, right. Well, he's having a good year last year until we took <laughs> off all his shit and just rolled. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that's – nobody's signing into a one-day contract. No, I agree. That's a, Yeah, that's enough of that. Um, let's get this back on the rails a little bit here. Uh, the other thing this weekend, for our golf fans out there, the PGA Championship <clears> – <throat> A lot happening there, but uh, of course, as with any tournament, as long as he's playing, he's the focal point. He's going to be the ratings draw. Tiger Woods, fact or fiction, Tommy? Tiger Woods will finish in the top ten of the PGA. Fiction. He. Uh, it's a great story. It's 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 um it's not a great story. I mean, he wrecked high on on something. So I mean, you know, he, he, at least he was this, speeding. We a know lot of this much. stuff that Tiger Woods does seems to be self inflicted. Yeah, allegedly. Yeah. You know, on something. Um, but I mean, it's a great story for the TVs because I only, I mean, I respect him for what he does when he's on the course, when he's playing, I watch when he's not, I could care less. Um, and you know, the TV guys hope they make it, he makes the cut, but he just doesn't, I don't think he has the stamina to play four rounds anymore. You know, if this was a two round tournament, just like at the masters, I mean, he was got in a it shot. on Friday. Yeah. Maybe he's got a shot getting in the top 10, but he just can't. He can't hang long enough anymore, at least where he's at physically now. So it's a great story for the TVs that he's playing, but it's fiction that he's going to be in the top ten. Oh, I, you know, he obviously he says he's in better physical shape than he was at the Masters. Um, obviously, we seen him mm-hmm. first round was really good. He was six shots off the lead going into the weekend, and then I mean that's in it. Then the wheels fell off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday and Sunday was abysmal. I want to say fact because it would I, to me it would be a great story. I mean, if he's in it on a Sunday, but like Tom said, I don't think he can play four rounds on that leg. I just so I'm going to yeah. say fiction, but I'm I'm hoping that that I'm watching on Sunday and you know he's four or five shots off off the lead and has a chance to maybe pull something off that nobody thinks he can do. Yeah, I agree. Fiction for all the the, the reasons that you two already stated. I mean, Tiger would be playing mini golf and I'd watch it. Right, I mean, right. He, that's he just, the draw. He, he just is. has yeah. that draw. He has the charisma. He has, you know, what he's accomplished, um, what he's been able to do on the golf course. I mean, phenomenal. And the history speaks for itself. But, yeah, it's it's come to an end. 
Yeah, I mean, has there ever been another guy in any sport you can think of? I mean, Michael, I mean, you hate hockey. I mean, can but I, you know, I I I like playing golf. I think we all enjoy playing golf, but right. watching it on TV is not exactly you know other than the Ryder Cups. Because I'll watch like, the majors. I'll watch, watch the weekends. Yeah, that's the it. Ryder Cups. Yeah. Well, I love the Ryder Cup, the President Cup. You know, the the USA versus the right. world kind of thing. I love. But I mean, Tiger is was always must see TV mm-hmm. in a sport that was, and he still is tough to watch. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, on Sunday I flipped something on, and, and they were finishing up, and I watched it for five minutes, and I, I couldn't take it anymore. But when he's playing, you, you can't turn it off because you never know what you're going to miss. Mm-hmm. And I, I just what he did for that sport. I mean, all those guys from yep. here on out. Every time he comes in, they should just line up and mm-hmm. kiss his ring. So, yep. Yeah, you don't even have to be a hockey, or hockey a golf fan. To know Tiger's name, right? right. Anybody that did, he transcended you know, the sport, he transcended yep. the sport like Michael Jordan did, like yep. Muhammad Ali did. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not even a boxing fan. Everybody knows who Muhammad Ali is. He's he's on that Mount, right. Mount Rushmore he of is. athletes that just transcend the sport that they yeah. play. Cultural icons. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Ric Flair. Woo! Perfect. Thank you. Guys are awesome today. Lead me. So I'm not doing a rant. I'm just going to talk about the Nature Boy, Nate. He's back. One more match. He's 73 years old. 73 years old. He announced that he's going to have one more match in Nashville. It's the night before or after SummerSlam, Tommy? It's the night after SummerSlam. Night after SummerSlam. Thank you. In Nashville. Um, I'm tempted to watch. I mean, once again, he's another guy, right, who he didn't get to that level of a Tiger or Muhammad Ali. But everybody, I mean, listen, you go to any sports stadium around the country now, all you hear, and it gets annoying as hell. Woo! I mean, right? I mean, that's Nate. Now, you watch, you know, Nature Boy was never Muhammad Ali, but, you know, you watch the documentaries on him and you hear things about back in the 70s and 80s. I mean, Ric Flair was professional athletes from other sports, football, baseball, basketball, would go out of their way to meet Ric Flair. I mean, Ric Flair was a larger-than-life persona. Everybody wanted to meet, you know, this, you know, all the guys want to be him, all the ladies want to be with him, you know, Space Mountain, all that stuff. (laughs) But I've already seen what happens in that match. I watched the movie The Wrestler. Um, it's a sad ending. He's 73 years old. I mean, he's had all kinds of health problems, heart problems. You know, he's battled, kidney issue. He's yep. battled addiction throughout mm-hmm. his career. To me, it's just a sad ending. Um, but if you if you're a professional wrestling fan at all, I joke. But if you've ever seen the movie The Wrestler, that's just life for for wrestlers. I mean. They get to enjoy a 10 or 15 year career and then they chase it the rest of the way. And a lot of it, most of it just do not end well. Um, and it's sad. It's sad to see. And I, I personally, I hope he doesn't do it because I really don't want to see something bad happen in the ring to him. But, um, but yeah, I mean, these guys, once you get that attention, man, and that spotlight on him yeah. more, it, it's, it's hard. And he's battled like hell to stay in the attention. WWE mm-hmm. fired him last year. Um, you know, I feel bad, but yeah, but he's he's getting back in. One more, Tommy. You have a rant? No, no. Um, I just want to say uh, to um, the for the Penguin fans out there and stuff like that that um, you know these last few years and we've bitched and complained that you know these last four or five years have been frustrating, but the reality of it is um, the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era, if it's over. Um, which and I'm we'll get into this further about whether I believe it is over or not. They delivered. Um, franchise players, icons, things like that get thrown around a lot. Um, these guys were put into a tough situation. This was a team that was coming out of bankruptcy. 
potential moving, ownership issues, money issues like this franchise has had all the time. They were following, you know, Mario uh, Lemieux. They were playing in the shadows of him as the owner. Um, Sid had had the spotlight on him since the day that he turned 11 years old, and Gretzky said that he was the next one. But these guys showed up in our town, outsiders, became Pittsburghers, Mm -hmm. and delivered championships. So you can say whatever you want about how it ended or how it's going or where this is going, but these three showed up, and they all delivered. Three championships, four finals, countless you know other scoring titles, MVPs, things like that. These guys delivered, and they should always be remembered fondly no matter how it ends. It was a hell of a run. Yep, no doubt about it. Okay, I got a, something a little different. Yep. I know we obviously – we didn't really want to talk about the NFL schedule. I mean, you know, they had the uh, the night last right. Thursday where they, you know, they, they broke down each week. And um, I don't pay much attention to it as, until we get closer to training camp and then I start to look at, mm-hmm. where, you know, who's playing who. And everybody knows that the Buccaneers are my team. And um, I know how people hate Tom Brady. And, I, you know, I mean, you know, you, you hate the greatest, right? For the NFL, did they stick it to Tampa the first four weeks of the season? They're at Dallas on a Sunday night, at New Orleans. They got Green Bay at home, and they got Kansas City on a Sunday night. That's the first four games of the year. So, you know, everybody's hoping that they go 0-4. I'm sure the Tom Brady haters are hoping that happens. Um, but boy, wow, wow, they really stick it to him. I just, that's I just, running the goal season, man. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize. I, yeah, that, that's a that's a rough way to start the yes, season. It is. So we'll see how it turns out. Well, it could be very easily not dinner before you interrupt. Uh, is I, I read several national people say that the NFL literally ripped up the schedule. That the schedule was pretty much done, and and they ripped it up when Brady announced he was coming back because. You know, no offense to your boys, but they went from a team that nobody, you know, wanted, to watch. nobody wanted to watch again to, okay, Brady's right. back. You know, no matter what. Speaking you, of must see TV. What you think of them, you know, if, if Brady's playing, then, then all of a sudden Tampa Bay games become a lot more important. So, you know, maybe that was the NFL's way of saying, hey, we already did this once. You're coming back now. All right. And yeah, we'll stick it to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll stick it to you. Yep, that's exactly it. Guys, great show. Thanks for uh, getting together early this week. Hope you, everybody out there appreciates us getting it to them a little earlier this year to get our take on what went down with the Penguins. We'll be back next week uh, with a little special surprise next week. Hopefully, if I don't screw it up this time. Yeah, please um, don't. Big don't. weekend coming up here, Brushes and Beans. Uh, for anybody that's interested, we have uh, Nick Patty. Our boy Nick Patty's back in the house. He's going to be bringing some special guests along with him. So we're going to sit down again, do an interview. So we'll have that for uh, our show next week. So stay tuned for that. Much more to come. I'll tease out a little bit more once we get through it on Saturday, give you a little sneak peek of uh, what's to come. So for now, thank you very much, as always, for listening. That'll do it for Episode 16 of ABC on Pittsburgh Sports. Once again, Michael Andonisio, Tom Bradley, Mark Lomani signing off for this week. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.